Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson, and this is episode 86 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast, with a new episode released every single day. You get an extended interview like this one every Monday, and short four or five minute daily episodes Tuesday through Sunday on a show that I call This Day Rocks. Loads of content for you classic rock fans. And if this is your first time listening, then please find Vintage Rock Pod on your podcast app or player of choice and subscribe directly on there so you don't miss a single episode. As I said, one comes out every single day and you can only get all those episodes on the Vintage Rock Pod feed, so give it a like or subscribe separately on there too, please. And also check out the YouTube channel where you can see all the wonderful guests that I've interviewed over the years on some fantastic videos on there too. But on to today's interview then. It's another Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee. I'm literally losing count of the total over the years, but I know it's the fourth in the last two months alone. Now, today's guest describes himself as a keeper of the faith, the faith of rock and roll, that is. With more than 40 years in the business, he's played and toured with the likes of Roger Daltrey, Ian Hunter, Paul McCartney, Alice Cooper, Bruce Springsteen, Stephen Van Zandt, Joe Walsh, Graham Nash, Elvis Costello, Ringo Starr and most famously with whom he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as part of Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. He's a guitarist of great distinction. I'm talking about Ricky Bird. 
Ricky is back with new music, glam rock infused, leaning heavily on the sort of stuff that influenced him when he was growing up. So of course we'll talk about that, plus his time with Roger Daltrey, working with one of his heroes, Mott the Hoople's Ian Hunter. There's a fantastic story about Paul McCartney in a £20 note, and his incredible memories of the Rock Hall induction too. So please enjoy this fun chat with Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Ricky Bird. Right then, Ricky, um, I'm delighted to speak with you. Another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer here on Vintage Rock Pod. It's always a pleasure to speak with you guys, you, you luminaries, you legends of the rock world. And it's a very special reason you're joining me today, because you've got a brand new single that's just been released. And it's a it's a, it's a fun one. It's a big kind of glam rock tinge stomper of a song. <laughs> it's called Glamdemic Blues. Tell me more about it, Ricky. Um, I mean, first of all, musically, uh, anything that I put out, or have put out is definitely a byproduct of the stuff that I listened to when I was a teenager. And, um, glam was one of the, one of the sides that I loved when I was that age, 14, 15, you know, Slade, sweet. So, but this particular song is, um, it was written, I'm going to say maybe a year into the pandemic, I started to, well, the first year we were all kind of in shock and everything that we had planned shut down. Yeah. Um, so you basically just watch Netflix, uh, you know, uh, and then all of a sudden I was like, well, maybe I should do something. <laughs> I mean, I put out this, my last record sobering times in the middle of this, but let's, okay, let's write some new songs. And, and I wanted to, uh, the last two records were basically clean getaway sobering times were basically, um, Musically rock and roll, what you would expect from me, but uh, lyrically, it was about um, the journey of recovery. You know, not not preaching, but just sort of putting the cards on the table and then you make your own decisions because I'm a person in long-term recovery. And um, I said, okay, I've got enough of those songs. So let's see what else we got up our sleeves. And I wanted to start writing stuff that I haven't touched on before, like new subject matter. Uh, so... Okay, so here I am sitting where I am right this minute in my studio basement, my basement studio. And uh, what do we write about? Oh, I always come up with the music first. Yep. So I started banging around with those chords. Um, I love that descending line, that kind of descending Mata Hoople line, because obviously I grew up on Mott and, uh, and I played with Ian. Uh, I toured with Ian a little bit. Or as they say, Mr. Unta. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, uh, so I had, the, I had the music, I had the melody, and now what do we write about? And I just started writing about frustration, about what we're going through. And, and it became a song where I'm kind of, I'm having a conversation with life. Yeah. You know, hey, life, when did you get back in town? It's been strictly Dollsville since you ain't been around, you know what I mean? On and on and on. And that's really the simplicity of it. Um, and as far as uh, the guitar stuff, I mean, as as time moves on, I get less and less inclined to just blow on solos, yeah. as we would say, you know, and, and I make them more um, uh, sort of um, worked out a little bit. You know, there's always, I always, usually at the end of the solo, I, I have like a couple of bars where I just kind of go, okay, this is what I can do. <laughs> but I try to, I try to form it sort of, sort of like a Mick Ronson, you know, what would Mick Ronson do, you know? Um, and, and so that's, that's basically, that's the format of the song, you know, and a lot of vocals, I did it at, um, uh, Parcheesi Studios here in New York, Long Island, where I, where I do all my stuff with my co-producer, Bob Stander. And we kind of have a, uh, a language 
between us because we've been working together. I mean, I know the guy 40 years <laughs> and we've been recording. We recorded all three of my solo records and now this batch of singles. Um, so like I could just kind of go to him like, um, you know, in the third verse of that Zeppelin song where there's that little delay on the guitar, can you do that? <laughs> you know, and then he'll pull, you know, he'll, he'll figure it out. And there you go. So, all right, now what do we do with it? It's recorded. In my mind, I said to myself, I, I don't understand why, why am I doing out? Why am I doing full length records to 11, 12 songs? Because even if you get it on the radio, people really only hear one or two and you just recorded all these other songs. Yeah, the people that purchase the record, hopefully they get by. But even if you purchase a record, don't you think, don't you agree that most people only listen to the first couple of songs? So, all right, so I said, I had this, this theory in my head. Let's just do singles, you know, like it's 1964. <laughs> and um, uh, like Tommy James and the Shondells or something. So um, I kind of put that to little Steven. Um the last couple of records that when I I always get played on Little Stevens Underground Garage. Luckily, yeah. thank thank you, Lord, of Lord of the you know rock and roll gods, and um, Little Steven always I always get like a coolest song in the world, which means they play it for a week. You know, becomes the coolest song in the world. And um, I said to him, uh, well, first of all, he said, why don't you come over to Wicked Cool? Um, and I said, uh, yeah, let's do this on Wicked Cool. So we're doing these singles on Wicked Cool and. I said to him that I, I I just want to do singles. I'm recording singles. Now all of a sudden I have like 12 singles. <laughs> <laughs> and and what is that equal? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what happens. I mean, we're going to put something else out. Uh, just a digital. This one is a, is a digital single and there's going to be physical seven inch vinyl, oh, cool. which I haven't received yet, which um, I will be selling um, signed, signed singles. And I'll put together a little package with the last two records and, you know, bunch of swag um on my uh website rickybird.com and um you could you could download what i really need people to do is to if you like that kind of music and if you like what i do and if you've seen me play and if you like what i how i play guitar and this and that please go go to your favorite music store and download Blandemic blues because that's how we sell music these days And to make more music, we got to sell the music that we're making. Otherwise, we're just doing it. It's like whistling in the wind, as the expression goes. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm totally uh, thrilled that people are loving it, but I need people to actually purchase the downloads for 99 cents or whatever it is over in Scotland. Um, and that's really the size of it. So we'll see what happens. We'll put out another song uh, in about six weeks. If we put two or three singles sing out, then I'll have a conversation with Wicked Cool Records and say, Hey, you know what? Should we do a, like a whole uh, record? And it's also I wanted to get something out, and and the time frame with Wicked Cool is always like a year and a half in advance. Oh, right, okay. So even if I handed in twelve songs today, it wouldn't come out for quite a while. So I just, you know, wanted to get something out. And and uh, you've mentioned yeah, sorry, just, just to jump in there, um, Wicked Cool. You've mentioned them a few times. What was it that made you? Because uh, it's the first time, you, as you said, you'd worked together with them. What was it that that convinced you to join them? Was was it just Little Stephen, or did you speak to the? The higher ups and well, I mean, I'm friend. You know, I, I know little Stephen, and and we're friends. But um, what I love about them is uh, this is an online world, right? Yeah. And and on all my social media, like all, all my timelines, there's always stuff about Wicked Cool. Like in every new release, they really push the hell out of it. They um, they talk about the artist. You know, if it's the artist's birthday, happy birthday, Wicked Cool. I mean, they're always got people. You know, you're always there. You're always present. And I thought that was really important. And I thought they could do a better job of that than I could. 
And, um, you know, I thought it was a cool label. I look at the other artists that they have, um, Brian Ray, you know, from uh, Paul McCartney's band and a bunch of really cool artists, Jesse Mallon, you know. And um, I said, let's, this is a label that I I think I'd like to be on. You know, it's a a different world, right? It's a different music business. Um, as, As far as touring, I don't know, man. I don't even, I don't have a band, you know. Um, I just, I go in, I play guitar and vocals, obviously, and all the vocals on there are mine. Yep. You know, I, I, I stack all the vocals up and we do that old um, um, sort of uh, Hoople trick, you know, where you slow the tape down and then you sing and then you speed it up so it sounds like higher vocals, like David Bowie used to do stuff like that. So I did a, a bunch of that stuff so it sounds like there's other people singing with me. But it's quicker, you know, it's faster to do and um I guess nobody sings as well with me as me, right? Perfect, yeah. Um, uh, and um, bass player is Bob. Bob Stanner always plays bass on everything. He's a great co-producer and a great guitar player. So he plays bass. Jeff Kazee plays keyboards on everything. Steve Holly plays from, uh, who played with Wings and plays with Ian Hunter. Uh, he plays drums on 90% of the stuff I do. Um, I did record something with Tommy Price, one of the singles. Uh, Tommy was played with me with Joan in the second, uh, the second bunch of Blackheart years that I was part of, and uh, I had Liberty DeVito. You know, if he's around, uh, he'll play something. You know, so but Steve Holly plays most mostly uh, on uh, ninety ninety five percent of my stuff. Cool stuff. And just a quick question about the B-side on the single as well. I mean, ah, I spoke yeah. with uh, Glenn Matlock uh, recently, former Sex Pistol, and he had a, a KD Lang cover on his album. I always love fun covers and different things that you don't expect. And and you've got Reach Out, I'll Be There on there as the, as the B-side. Why that song? And, and what, what appealed to you to, to record that one? Well, obviously, you know, look, I, when we started this conversation, I said I'm a product of everything I yeah. listened to as a teenager. And radio in New York was amazing when I was a kid. It was AM, right, as opposed to FM radio. So in other words, before they started playing album sides, it was just the top 40. And um, and what was great in New York is it would go from the Four Tops to the Stones, to Trini Lopez, to Elvis, to Frank Sinatra. So I got a really wide range of music to grow up on. So I, of course, I love soul music. Sam Cooke, Four Tops, Temptations, Al Green, on and on. Um, and that song, so so when I handed in Glamdemic Blues, Dennis Mortensen, uh, the program director of the producer, at Wicked Cool and Underground Garage, he said to me, uh, we need a B-side. And he said, Why don't you, do you have a, any covers? I had Reach Out, I'll Be There for the Sobering Times record. Um, and I ran out of room, so I didn't put it on there. And um, I did that song because um, for the two recovery records, I said, let me get a, a cover song that aims at the journey of recovery somehow. For the Clean Getaway record, I heard Kicks, you know, Paul Revere and the Raider Kicks. And I said, well, that's like a anti-drug song, right? Let me do that. So that's on Clean Getaway. For the Sobering Times record, I, I'm, I swear as I'm sitting here, I'm sitting in my car and I'm going, hmm, what can I use? What, what cover can I use for Sobering Time? And out of nowhere on Underground Garage, it was like, I went, that one <laughs> <laughs> you know and so i recorded you know i did my version of it um i i wanted the guitarist to to you know the i'm always doing a nod to my favorite people and that's obviously a nod to the late great jeff beck that intro um and 
And that's why I did the song. Now, that song I had um, uh, Jeff Kazee sang backgrounds and Christine Ullman, who's known as the Beehive Queen. You could uh, Google her. She's a she's a, my soul sister. You know, she's got this amazing voice. And she's actually on SNL. She's the she does. Uh, she's one of the singers that does a lot okay. of the. Yeah. Like whenever you hear music on SNL in a, in a skit or something like that, it's always um, Christine and others. And that's why I recorded it. So I sent it to them. I said, what do you think of this? I forgot how it's good it sounded. And I heard they played that also uh, on, during the coolest week, coolest song in the world week. And I went, that's yeah, not bad. <laughs> not pretty good. You know, I mean, Bob had the hardest part. He had to do that bass thing before the choruses, you know. And dude, I tortured him. I said, no, you got to get it note for note, man. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's like a legendary, that's a legendary bass line. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely is. Fantastic stuff. And like you said, you can get all the information on, on the singles and, and future releases as well at rickybird.com. And uh, follow you on social media as well. Check out your Facebooks and things because you're, you're always very entertaining on there. Oh, good. I'm glad you say that. Yeah, I mean, uh, people like to see pictures of this. You know, I, I go through my stuff and I find pictures of me playing with this one and playing with that one. I've had a really great, blessed career so far because not only did I get to play, you know, 10 years with Joan and, of course, that giant stadium stuff and all that cool stuff and clubs and theaters and, and the rock hall, of course. But um, I got to tour with Ian. Uh, and I got to do a record with Roger Daltrey. Yeah. Uh, and, and did a radio tour with Roger, um, you know, did some of it at Abbey Road. So I got pictures from that. And then and then I got into this. Um, luckily, lucky enough for me, I get called a lot to do these uh, benefits, you know, charity yeah, yeah. shows yeah. Uh, all around the country. Um, and I'm always part of the house band. Right. So I get to not only do I get to play with like Jeff Carlisi from 38 Special and Liberty DeVito on drums and Will Lee on bass sometimes and. But we back all these, you know, it's three songs from Mavis Staples, oh, three, songs from Smokey, three songs from Smokey Robinson, yep. a couple of songs from Brian Wilson, all these gigs over the years. So I have pictures of me, you know, playing guitar for all these wonderful artists that I grew up listening to when I was that kid in the Bronx. Amazing. So I like to post those. People seem to like that stuff. And, and, um, and then I have my Twitter uh, page. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. 100%. Well, like I said, definitely make sure you purchase the, the new singles and, and look out for the future music that's coming because by the sounds of it, there's lots of it to come, which is very exciting news indeed. Now, Ricky, you, you've teased us with so many names just in this uh, short part of the interview alone. I mean, we have to touch on a few of them. And let's start with um, let's start with Ian Hunter then. I mean, as you said, he, he was a big inspiration for you when you were younger, Mop the Hoop, all the glam kind of stuff, oh, a lot of the British music. I mean, what was it like to, to, to work with Ian then when, when the chance came around? And how did that chance come about? It was a dream come true. Hey, folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72 and other sought after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. I mean, it was right around when Mick Ronson passed away. Ian would do a Scandinavian tour every summer and then hit a couple of spots in England. 
Um, and he basically just called me and he said, would you be interested in um, coming with me to Scandinavia? I have a band over there. It'll be me and you and, and the, the rest of the rhythm section and a second guitar player. And I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I just learned all the songs that I grew up listening to. I mean, it was a trip. Uh, the first time I played All the Young Dudes with him, I was I had to turn around because I got a little weepy. You know, I got to play that riff that I've been playing since I'm 14. Uh, and just to look to my right and see Ian Hunter there and, and we're playing, you know, all the way to Memphis or Cleveland Rocks or any of the stuff that I grew up listening to or seeing them play in concert. Um, I was lucky enough to see them when they did their gig at the Eurus Theater here on Broadway where Queen's first show in New York, Queen wow. opened. And so I was at that show. And funny enough, there was a club in, Matt, uh, uh, in New York, in Manhattan called Max's Kansas City. Very famous, legendary rock and roll club, which I frequented quite often when I was a kid. You, you could say in New York terms, I made my rock and roll bones there. <laughs> and um, so they had a back room and anybody that was in town, the big artists, they would sit them at this big round table. Um, so we, me and my friends after the Eurus Theater gig, we went to Max's and sure enough, Mott was sitting around the table. And I stood with my friends staring at them like teenagers would do, <laughs> not, never thinking in a million years that like 20 years later, I'd be playing guitar for them, you know. Uh, so that's that's the Ian Hunter business, you know. Okay. It's pretty pretty damn cool. Very cool, very cool. There's actually, it? you know, there's actually, um, I don't have a lot of footage. Somebody sent me some stuff from some clubs in Scandinavia that I cannot find, but there is online, I think it might be on my YouTube channel, um, there's there's a clip of us doing um, at, at the the water festival in Stockholm, big outdoor thing. Um, all the young dudes and um, I can't remember which what other song we did. It was a good one though, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But it's a it's a great piece of video. It's all kind of grainy in 1993 ish, but no 94 ish. Oh, but uh, people could go look at that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you've got a lot of ties to, to Europe. You've played uh, Europe a lot. And, and one fun story I heard you once tell was about, um, I think you're doing Top of the Pops here in the UK. And obviously Top of the Pops mm. was an institution over here. Um, and didn't you play, I think it was when you were with Joan, and you played on the same day, the same bill as, as Sir Paul McCartney. And didn't you get him to sign a £20 note or something? Can you tell us that story? Yeah. Funny enough, I told him that story at, 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 at the after party at the Rock Hall. And he didn't find it funny. <laughs> um, he was like, you did what? So, you know, I was at a pub with my friend, with, with the, some of the people in the band, probably Gary Ryan and, and Lee Crystal. Um, rest in peace, Lee. And, um, yeah, you know, I had, uh, we did Talk of the Pops. Now, I'm going to say he was there with Linda. I can't remember what song he was there for. It was might have been the song he did with Stevie, um, Stevie Wonder. All right, okay, yeah. Was it? Uh, I'm probably just messing all this up, but um, any, in any event, you know, I'm standing on the side of the stage and he kind of said to me, oh, I love that song, I Love Rock and Roll. Great, great, great tune, great tune. I said, Paul, could you do me a favor and sign? And I pulled out what I had. He signed it, put it in my wallet. Uh, we went out drinking that night. This is this is the reason I'm 35 years sober now. <laughs> we went out, we went out pubbing that night and um, I was down to my last, you know, my wallet was empty of cash. And I looked at that and I just went, ah, what the hell? And, uh, yeah, somebody's got it. It's circulating somewhere. Can you imagine? So I told him that story. I said, yeah, I got a funny story for you, Paul. <laughs> and, and he had that look on his face like, why would you do that? <laughs> 
<laughs> Incredible. Like, I don't know, man. Don't know. Just a thing. There's that a was, £20 note floating was, around that, that had Sir Paul McCartney's signature on it, and the person probably didn't even realize. <laughs> yeah. I was, what is the expression? I was in my cups. Is that, what it was? Is that the expression? <laughs> oh, yeah. phenomenal stuff. And you, you mentioned the I roll call that, there. There I mean, was an overflow, overflow of Jack Daniels that night. Yeah, well, there we go. There we go. Thankfully, no longer. Um, and as yeah. you mentioned the rock hall there, obviously you were inducted as part of Joan Jett and the Blackhearts uh, 2015, I think it was. I mean, tell me about that experience. What, what do you remember about all that? Oh, it was awful. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so we were um, nominated three times. And the first two times we didn't get in. Uh, so the third time, and it's funny because I was just talking to, uh, last night I was texting my friend at the rock hall who um, put together a couple of these events that I talked about before that we would do uh, where I was in the house band. And I said, man, I'll never forget when you called me that morning at like 7 a.m. said, you're in. Right. So um, I think when we, when I finally started to realize how much of a cool thing it was. Well, let, let's st- let's start from scratch. Be- because I did these cool events at the Rock Hall, like it was at the convention center there, the famous convention center, where the Beatles played and the Who played uh, these events. Uh, that they w- It was a Rock Hall charity event that I was in the house band. So we would always visit the actual Rock Hall, and I would always take a walk in the museum by myself. And because uh, I just wanted to be around and walk, you know, and you'd look at like Sam Cook's tuxedo and, you know, uh, Jimmy Page's guitar or whoever's guitar and, and, you know, Keith Richards jacket that you saw him on, you know, like play Madison Square Garden in 1969 or something. And I it would always like be, wow, 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 <laughs> you know. So I always had that in mind. It's like, wait, wait a minute. We're gonna, our stuff's going to be in there. <laughs> it's like, what? That doesn't make sense. Um, so uh, I had that in my brain. Then uh, when my wife and I flew to Cleveland that day, and we get out at the airport, you know, we get off the plane, and we're walking through the airport in Cleveland, and they make a bit, you know, it's the, it's the the whole city is, is the rock hall, right? There's these giant, any time of the year, there's all these pictures from rock hall events. But there were pictures of the inductees for the for our year, uh, right? All, like giant pictures all over the airport. And I'm like, whoa. And then you're walking towards your baggage and all these people are coming over you with like Blackheart records or, you know, the, the Roger Daltrey record or something. Ah, oh, Ricky, can you sign this? And I'm like, okay, this is probably bigger than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and, and then, you, you know, we get there and we do the sound check. I didn't play with Joan. Um, you know, I uh, was told that she wanted to play with her new band, which seemed completely acceptable. You know, I hadn't played with her in years. I played with her from 81 to 91. And, um, but we're doing sound check. And, um, and so I was told, okay, you're not going to play with Joan, but you're going to be in the finale. I'm going to set you up your ramp up next to Joe Walsh, <laughs> McCartney, uh, Stevie Wonder, Peter, Patty Smith, uh, Peter Wolf from Jay Giles, uh, Gary Clark Jr., uh, Ringo's playing drums, uh, along with some of the Letterman band, uh, and Gary, uh, Billy, Billy Joe from Green Day. Um, I'm trying my brain. I'm trying to see who else was there. Beck, I think, was there. Not Jeff, the other Beck. Um, the 90s Beck. Oh, delay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, who else was up there? I'm probably forgetting somebody really cool. <laughs> but so, so in rehearsal, uh, Paul Schaefer was the musical director. 
and and little by little, you know, McCartney came over and introduced himself. Um, you know, I didn't tell him the story that night. I told him later, you know, after after the show. But um, we took a couple of cool selfies and stuff like that. Um, and Ringo came over and, and introduced himself. Yeah, exactly. You're shaking your head. It's just, just like, phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Um, and uh, Paul Schaefer said, okay, so we're going to do a um, little help for my friends. And um, uh, I want to be your man. And each one of you guys uh, is going to take a solo. Okay, so first, uh, uh, Joe Walsh, you take the first one. This is Paul Schaefer talking. You take the first one. You take the second one. Gary Clark Jr., you take the third one. Ricky, you take the fourth one. So, uh, you know, I just noticed in soundcheck that um, nobody actually approached Paul when they were doing their solo. And my brain just said, okay, you're never going to get this chance again in the rest of your life. So let's make the most of it. You know what I mean? um, so I just rock and rolled them, you know, like when it, and during the show, when Paul Schaefer tapped me on the shoulder, I went straight over to McCartney. So in turn, I have all these fabulous pictures of me and him face to face with me playing these like Chuck Berry riffs and Paul with this big grin on his face, you know, and, and, um, I, that, I, that's the first thing I did after the show when I saw him at the after party. He said, you know, if I, if I, came into your light, you know, I, I, you know, I apologize. I just figured like, I didn't see anybody else coming over to you. And I just thought it was, you know, it was the natural thing for me to do for this, the guitar player to go over to the singer, you know, and just get up against him. And he was like, no, no, no. You know, it's, you know, people get intimidated. That was really cool. That was very rock and roll. I said, okay, well done. <laughs> you know, and I got all these great pictures. So yeah, my speech, that was because everybody asked me, were you nervous with the, the whole playing with Ringo and Paul? I get that chill more after the fact when I look at the video or I look at pictures. I'm going, wait, did that actually happen? <laughs> but that but that night I was in the moment and it was just a band and we were and you were just caught up in the excitement uh, for my speech. That was nerve wracking. Uh, but they did say um, and me and my wife were sitting at the front table. And next to us was Paul, uh, Paul and Ringo, and the wives and Joe Walsh and the wives and Yoko was sitting at the table too, and because Ringo was being inducted that night mm -hmm. as well, and um, when we did the speech, so you got to remember with the podium, I'm standing right in front of the table, but luckily they said we don't want you to look down at your speech. And by the way, I wrote that speech like I was writing, like I was Neil Simon writing a comedy. I, I said, I, I I need to get some laughs. You know, I took a lot of time writing a speech and I was under a time constraint. Like the producer said to me, okay, man, you, it's gotta be this amount of time or I'm going to cut you. So like, I kept like trying to make a really funny, good speech, you know, heart saying thank you to everybody, but making, you know, a couple of laughs and stuff. Um, cause it is the rock hall, right? So no need for a serious speech. He said, we, so there's going to be a, a, a monitor way in the back of the hall. So it's, your speech is going to be up there. I'm like, oh, fabulous. Cause then I don't have to look down. And if I don't look down, then I'm not going to see my whole record collection sitting in front of me, <laughs> you know, and that worked well. And you could tell at one point I tell them the story of like how I got into this mess in the first place. It's like, it's watching the Ed Sullivan show when I was a kid, uh, you, you know, Ed Sullivan. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so when we were a kid, all family sat around and watched that every Sunday night. 
And Ed would bring, you know, he'd have jugglers, he'd have a broad the cast of a Broadway show, he'd have comedians, singers, and he would always have a rock and roll artist. Famous Elvis from the Waste Up show and you know the first Beatles show and the you know and the Stones. I think it was the first Beatles Stones. I could be wrong on that. And um yeah, I saw the Beatles and the Stones, and I that was the moment I went, Oh yeah, that's for me. I could do that. Uh, and that, and then I asked my mom for a guitar, which I don't remember the timeline, but uh, eventually she sent, you know, her boss for my birthday gave me, uh, gave her to give to me this acoustic no name guitar, which is in the rock hall now, which is really cool. Oh, wow. Um, which I had all those years. And, uh, and when I saw the Beatles, I was like, yeah, yeah. But I was a very shy, quiet kid, grew up in the Bronx, right? Always a transistor radio and a baseball bat, you know, because of the, my baseball team. And um, so the Beatles, I love. But when I saw the Stones on the Ed Sullivan show and I saw Keith and, and I was like, oh, what's that? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> that looks that looks dangerous. <laughs> give me give me some of that. You know, the, the final stamp was a couple of years later when the, when they did Top of the Pops and they did Jumping Jack Flash, that famous video with the war paint. Yeah. I was just like, oh, yes. Sold. Yeah. I, I sold. I like this, you know, <laughs> and I've been chasing that ever since. <laughs> I tell you two things, you you know, you, you chase tone, guitar tone wise. And, and I'm probably not, I'm, I'm definitely not the only guitar player that says this. The, the, the eternal chase to get Clapton's guitar tone on uh, the Blues Breakers album, the Beano album, like we're forever, you know, trying to get that tone. You just keep buying pedals, hoping you can find that tone, <laughs> and it just never sounds that way. So that's basically the story of that night, and it's the story of, uh, you know, chasing the tone. <laughs> Incredible. Which, which should be the title of my next album. <laughs> there you the go. Tone. That's it. That's it. You got it sorted. Uh, I was going to ask, um, uh, one of my questions is usually, uh, what's one of your kind of, was it really me moments? Kind of one of the things that stands out in your career, but that rock hole sounds like it, it definitely could be up there. But, but do you have any others, ones that you look back on and go, oh, did I really yeah. do that? Oh, come on, man. Uh, playing all the young dudes with Ian, uh, uh, being in Abbey Road with Roger Daltrey and you're in the booth and he's singing in the booth next to you and you're doing a song you co-wrote, you know, I'm like, wait, is this, is this right? <laughs> How's this work? <laughs> Play, playing I'll Take You There with Mavis Staples. Playing um, In My Room with Brian Wilson. Playing Tracks of My Tears, I think it was. I played three songs with Smokey Robinson. Oh, wow. Come on, man. Really? Playing, uh, playing um, Soul Man, Sam Moore. And, and being the guy playing the Steve Cropper parts, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got a host of, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I know I should write a book. I don't want to write a book. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what we need. Another musician writing a book. Um, how about like uh, uh, the Blackhearts playing in Memphis and we go to a, a little club after the show, some of us. And, and upstairs in this little club, Rufus Thomas was playing. And it came from the T-Birds, the Fabulous T-Birds was, was, was playing harp and singing in the band. And I, you know, I knew I was friends with those guys. Uh, Jimmy Vaughn used to hang out and when he came to New York with us all the time. Um, and uh, Kim said, you want to come up and play a song or two? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I got to do Walking the Dog with Rufus Thomas. I mean, that was kind of cool. Very you know. cool. Very so cool. playing with Darlene Love, playing with Ronnie Spector, you know, I mean, it's just on and on. Playing with with the wonderful singer Chuck Jackson, who did Any Day Now. Okay. Um, he just recently passed away, like two weeks ago. Um, 
yeah, just on and on, you know. Phenomenal. And we have to talk about Joan Jett. I mean, your time with the Black Hearts, as you said, it was 10 years, 81 to, to 91. And when you joined, uh, you joined during the recording, I think it was for the album, didn't you? I Love Rock and Roll. And, and you guys... Yeah, I, I, you put... I joined right at the beginning. That's yeah, right. 81. They were, yeah, they recorded a couple of tracks. I joined the band and then we um, we did over a couple of things. Um, I added my parts to something, a couple, one or two songs that um, Eric Gamble already played on. He's a great producer and guitar player. Uh, and then we recorded the whole rest of the record, you know, and then we hit the road, yeah. Jack. <laughs> Indeed. And when you hit the road, it was originally smaller clubs and smaller venues, wasn't it? And then yeah, the yeah. album kind of took off and became a, a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, the, the single itself was topped for, what, seven weeks in America and the album sold millions and millions. I mean, talk us through that. How did it feel starting at this kind of stage you did? And then within, what, a year or so, a few months, you were then suddenly worldwide famous? Yeah, well, the record comes out you're in this the middle of the hurricane so you don't really know what's going on except the people telling you yeah you notice more people at the gigs they they bring the the record industry magazines on the tour uh, we weren't even on tour bus yet we were in like a winnebago or something like that <laughs> i don't know what they call that over there but uh, you know everybody squished into yes. this little traveling circus um and they would say oh it's number you know 30 it's number 20 it's number two. and as it get closer the gigs just kept getting bigger bigger and bigger and um you know pretty soon it's like you get a bus then you get two buses uh and then all of a sudden you're opening for bigger acts playing uh stadiums and such and and that's you know that's basically how it works fantastic and a fantastic 10-year period and and you got clean during that period as well which you're thankful for for, yeah. for all these many years 87 that's right yeah so what's that for 35 years is that 35 year? years yeah fantastic yeah, phenomenal years. absolutely phenomenal um and then uh, when you left it joan you, you went to to pursue other ventures do things on your own and and one of those um ventures you mentioned a few times there roger daltrey i mean how did all that come about how did that come about uh my friend gerard mcmahon uh, was going to produce him and uh, it really started out by him saying hey um i think i think you you'd be great to, to play guitar on this record we're going to do a little, we're going to do a couple of songs at this little club in the village. Uh, do you want to come down? And I went down and we did Born on the Bayou. I can't remember what else we did. You know, so I met Roger. We hung out. We started writing together, the three of us. Um, and, um, and then, then we recorded the record. And then once the rocks in the head and once the record was recorded, we, um, did a radio tour and some TV in America, you know, David Letterman, that kind of stuff. Um, but we went around the country and sat in, you know, in a rec uh, radio uh, studios and did a couple of Who songs and we did some songs off the single from Rocks and Bed. Um, and uh, Days of Light, that was what it was called, yeah, the single. And that's that was that. That was pretty cool. And did some big events, you know, charity events, which were really, which were really exciting. And what was Roger like to work with then, um, collaborating? Because you said you, uh, you wrote songs together. What was he like as a as a partner to work with? Sweetheart. Just the nicest guy. Couldn't couldn't find a nicer guy. Gentleman. Ian as well. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to all your stories. Some some incredible names you've been blessed to work with and your incredible talent has taken you a long way. But uh, just to wrap up, just to, to, to urge everyone to get out there and, and purchase your new single, Glamdemic Blues. It's out there. It's available to buy. So uh, please check it out, please. Yeah, and not only me. I mean, this is how we sell records these days. So for every artist, if you like their music, please actually purchase it. Don't just listen to it on the radio. 
you know, go buy the singles, go online and go to iTunes, whatever your music, you know, store is online and buy the singles, yeah. uh, buy the records, you know, because we want to keep making music and, and the days of the record stores, I, I don't know what it's like in Scotland, but, you know, there's so, I, I, I don't know how many physical record stores there are here anymore, which was a joy when we were a kid, mm -hmm. when I was a teenager, going to the record stores and flipping through vinyl. Uh, we don't have that uh, advantage anymore. So you, you need to really uh go on these music sites and purchase them so we could keep making cool music absolutely brilliant well it's been a pleasure chatting with you ricky i wish you the best of luck with this and look forward to, to hearing what else you put out in the rest of the year well in about in about five six weeks maybe somewhere in there there's going to be a second single on a wicked cool that will be played on i think we're just going to do a digital single so no physical yeah and we'll keep doing that until um somebody says to me dude why don't you just do a whole record you've got the songs <laughs> you know Perfect. let's see what happens good stuff indeed excellent thank you very much for your time today and uh, best of luck thanks, with everything brother. have a great day and a big thanks to the wonderful Ricky Bird there please do check out his new music it's also a huge achievement for him too to be 35 years sober this year which is fantastic he does a lot of work around recovery which touches a lot of people so please check all that out as well but that's it for me and this week's big interview show. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you subscribe to Vintage Rock Pod on your podcast app so you get all the episodes that are released every single day. And look for a Vintage Rock Pod on YouTube as well. Check out all the videos that I post from the interviews, some bits that don't make the full interviews as well. Other fun bits too, like a daily classic rock poll that gets more than a thousand votes every single day. Loads of great discussion on there as well, so well worth checking out. Vintage Rock Pod on YouTube. Anyway, I'm going to be back tomorrow on podcast with another This Day Rocks. So until then, take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.